So I interesting, um, I have a miniature dash and he's about a year and a half old. About four weeks ago, he got super sick. I mean, he was just blah and everything else. He wouldn't move. He just laid on the couch or whatever, breathing heavy, and he was kind of moaning, and it was just the weirdest thing to see a dog do. So I, I took him to the vet. Uh, you know, he would be sick, and then he'd look like he's better. And then he was, so it took about a week. I took him to the vet, and they did some blood tests. And uh, after a few days, the blood test came back and said he was having liver failure. And I was going, oh, my goodness. And the vet's like, I don't know what's going on. He's so young. It usually doesn't happen. And she's like, did he eat something? We're going, well, we don't think so. We originally thought maybe there was something stuck in his digestive tract because he was throwing everything up. Uh, anyway, this poor, young, vibrant dog just got sicker and sicker and sicker. We gave him medicine. And uh, after about three or four days, he perked up. And he seemed okay. Okay, good, things are good. And uh, we forgot all about it. And about three or four days later, he started getting sicker and sicker. Went back to the vet, got some more medication. And uh, this time it went on for about 10 days where I was sure, like last Wednesday, I was sure he was a goner. I mean, he just like, barely moved. He was staggering around. And you'd call his name and he'd hardly even recognize you. Uh, but, you know, we just kept up. And what we decided to do last Wednesday uh, I had looked, you know, isn't the internet, doctors love it when we look on the internet, by the way, because we get all sorts of advice that drive them nuts. But anyway, in this case, I looked online and they talked about, you know, making sure your dog gets lots of fluid. Well, I have this dog, he doesn't like to drink, but he really, he's a baby, he loves to be spoiled. So we, I told Carolyn, get, a, you know, those little syringes putting medicine in baby's mouths. So she started putting water in his mouth. Oh, and he loved that. He'd just drink it all up. And so we started getting like literally glasses and glasses of water through this dog. And uh, even then we started to hand feed him piece by piece. And I tell you, about Thursday this last week, he started to perk up. Friday he was like actually paying attention to us. Yesterday he was driving us nuts, barking at everything. You know, my dog is that kind of dog. If a leaf falls in Vancouver, he barks, he hears it. And so he barks at everything. And he's got this obsession with playing ball. We're in bed trying to sleep and he comes running, jumping up on the bed with a ball in his mouth and we're trying to sleep and he's, he's laying the ball on our faces so that we'd play ball with him. And I looked at Carol and my wife and I said, I think the dog's doing better. And this morning he was even as annoying as ever. Why do I tell you this story? I think a lot of us, because of COVID, because of some of our own choices, because of circumstances in our life, we're... Our soul, our soul isn't doing very, we're, we're literally, our, if we could see our souls, our, our souls would be breathing, having, and moaning, and groaning. Uh, we're just not in a real healthy space. And, and I want to say to you, if you're, if you're filled with anger this morning, if you're filled with frustration, if you're filled with uh, just like, you just want to punch somebody, <laughs> I'm just telling you that's not from God. I think you probably know that. And, and especially if you're just feeling like a, just a real emptiness inside. And, and you've watched every, every uh, I was going to say Harlequin because that's what it reminds me, every Hallmark movie and it still hasn't lifted you up. A, I would say it's probably those movies that's getting you depressed. 
I tease my wife. It, like I, I said to her the other day, watching another one with her, because we try to do stuff together, and I said, do you think they purposely try to write every story the same? Like, do they have a team that says, wait a minute, you're out of line? You know, because you always, with those movies, the Hallmark movies, you always have the person that they, they, you know, first they were going through these writers were coming back to their hometown, and then it was doctors, and, and now it seems to be millionaires that they're on that come to their hometown to start up a business or something. And about three-quarters of the way through, something happens between them and the person that they're going to fall in love with or have fallen in love with. They overhear something. Every movie's like that. And then they work it out and they walk heavily, have, happily ever after in the end. If those movies aren't cutting it for you, if your soul is just, ah, you're like literally, ah, ah, I just don't feel good. I, I, I'm just so angry. I'm so frustrated. This message, I think, is for you. And as I was in the prayer summit last Sunday night, I'm just sitting there hearing God. And the first thing I heard was Isaiah 9, 6. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9. And I sensed I needed to preach on that this morning. And you'll understand a little bit. But I think in order to get Isaiah 9, 6 properly understood, I think we all know it. For unto us a child is born. We know that passage. But have you ever looked at the context? Now, if you didn't know the context, Israel at this point was in pretty bad shape. They were like my dog. They were sick. They, they had come under uh, a lot of punishment from God. They had become proud and arrogant, and they needed some humility. And even as we, as a uh, worship or as a prayer team this morning were praying, we were just sensing that God was saying, uh, we need to see some true humility. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray. There's a lot of arrogance in us in North America. And I'm not saying God's doing anything to us, but he's certainly using this time. So Israel was in that time and they were overrun by a foreign nation. And I think it's important to know that in their frustration, reading between the lines of, of everything that was said, in their frustration, they began trying to look for things to make sense of what they were going through, to help them in their frustration, their anger, their, their sorrow. They, they were just trying, looking desperately to, if they had TV, they'd be watching the, you know, the, the nonstop show on Netflix or on BritBox or whatever else you want is your kind of stripe that you enjoy. I mean, they were, I even was on Facebook the other day and somebody posted, does anybody know a good medium in Grand Prairie? And I'm just, like that, as a Christian, it just makes me twinge to hear that. But, but listen to Isaiah 9, and uh, we're going to start at verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, hear this, people, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living. Oh, I love the logic. Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, now I think you're understanding this, this uh, instruction and this testimony has to do with a warning from God. It has to do with his Bible, his word. If anyone does not speak according to this word, Listen to this. They have no light 
of dawn. They have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. Sound familiar? And looking upward. And they will curse their king and their God. Hmm. That was a giant march in Calgary yesterday. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zerbulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations, are you hearing that? By the nations, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. This is optimistic, by the way. And then verse six, here it comes. For to us a child is born. This is, this is a people in despair. This is a frustrated people. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, Amen. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. When Jesus himself was born, the nation of Israel was in the exact same kind of place. Rome Rome was uh, overlording them and ruling them. They were frustrated. They were angry. They were upset. I don't know about you, but in my life, there's been a lot of times when I felt the darkness, when I have been frustrated. When I was two years old, my dad died, and I was close to my dad. And even when I got a stepfather fairly quick, it was until I was about eight, I told you this last week, that I really began to feel that my stepdad loved me. As an awkward teen, and yes, I was an awkward teen, I was six feet tall and about 130 pounds, and you're asking what happened to that? Well, I started to eat, like my dog, my mother force-fed. No, I'm just joking. My mom will say, it's not my fault. But as a teen, I was so awkward and I grew so fast. I grew 10 inches in one year, by the way. So you can imagine when it came time to choose teams, do you think I got picked first? I was usually last or second last. I can remember the emotions that I went through in those years. And I remember even as a young adult, I mean, I, I as a teen started to uh, understand and connect that, I, by the way, I've always loved Christmas. 
Uh, I've always, from the time I was probably in grade one, I, I would sit in the dark with the lights on and listen to Christmas music, and especially in the 60s, late 60s, it was usually all Christmas hymns. I mean, there was Rudolph, Shot the Reindeer, or whatever, you know, those shows, those shows, those songs, uh, or, or Mama Kiss Santa Claus Under the Tree, those kind of songs. It was that too, but as a rule, I, I would listen to these songs like Silent Night in the Dark, and I'd go... Something just, you have to, I didn't go to church. I didn't grow up in church. But something in my soul was being fed. And, and I felt this, this light, this, this peace that passes all understanding. And, and when I was in my teen years as that awkward teen, and I began to get invited out to church and go to church, and again, I said, I started going for all the wrong reasons. But as I began to hear the messages from Pastor John Clausen in Fort St. John, as I began to hear the messages, it just started to resonate. This is that God that I've known since I was six years old and came to faith in it as I was seven, eight years old. And when I started connecting in the church, it was beautiful. And I honestly, at my age still, cannot understand people that walk away from the church. Because when I came to the church, it just all resonated with this God of peace that I had experienced as a child. I know people are people, and I know in the church we hurt each other, and we often operate in the flesh, and I operate in the flesh sometimes too, and sometimes I get angry and I get frustrated and I do silly things. And I am ashamed of some of the things that I've done in the past to people in the church. And many of them, if I could, I've apologized to. And I know we hurt each other, but this place, this church, this people of God, this is where the light resides. We are the hope of the world as the church. We are the ones that those little boys sitting in the dark with the lights on listening to the beautiful songs of hope and Christmas, we are the ones, we are the agents of God to go out and, and tell them what this all means. And we really desperately need to understand that Isaiah is telling them that Jesus is the light. And this light theme, it flows right through into Jesus' life. Again, let me read, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And let's be honest, many things in this world can bring you peace. Yes, watching a Hallmark movie might touch your heart for a moment. But let me tell you what happens with the stuff that the world brings you peace with. It's usually really addictive. <laughs> it's usually not good for our souls. And it usually brings us into some real dark places. But let me tell you about the peace that God can bring you. It will fill you up from the inside out. It'll be, it'll be like manna from heaven. And the peace I'm talking about is a deep down in your soul peace, a, a peace that goes into those dark places and brings incredible light into that insecure little teenage boy who never got picked, into that young adult who was unemployed in 1982 and didn't know what in the world was God doing. 
I mean, in those dark times of my life, God has met me like you can't even ever imagine. I have humility in those places. I've had an experience, the presence of God in those places where prosperity and all the Hallmark movies I could watch could never, ever do. And it's really important for us as followers of Christ to understand we're the source of real peace. Deep down, soul peace has come from. Jesus himself has connected us with God through his death and resurrection. And we honestly, we have what the world can never understand. We have peace with God. My becoming a Christian was an incredible experience. I remember still, in fact, I had hoped to go up this summer and look at the backyard where I prayed to receive Christ, and I had another plan to go back to Regina, where I went to Bible college, and where I began to hear the word, and hear it taught, and hear it explained, and how every class I would be sitting there, and the light bulbs would be going on, and my soul was getting filled more and more and more, COVID came along, and robbed me of that, so I had to go into my bedroom and remember it all. Maybe for you, you can think of those times when you really received peace and maybe it was when you were taught about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit felt. Maybe it was a conference you went to. Maybe it was a worship song that you heard in a real low point in your life. Maybe there was a church service where the preacher preached and it just touched you like you have been touched in a long time. But I'm gonna be really honest with you that the peace that God gives us, it actually can wear off. Now you're going, wait a minute, this goes against everything you're just saying. You're saying that God's peace goes deep in our soul. Well, there's this problem. We still are walking in this sinful world. This world still has hardships. This world still has consequences of sin. And if you're mad about the way things are right now, you can talk to God about the sin in our hearts. Because this wasn't God's plan. And when we walk with that beautiful peace, that experience that we had from God, when you walk around in this world, the dirt and the filth and the sin of the world, including our own hearts, it starts to suck out, it starts to rob, it starts to steal what God wants to give you. So as I was thinking about this whole thought, I was studying Isaiah 9. Then the Lord took to me to a really familiar passage that I've preached on. I bet you a dozen times I've referred to it in my last 11, 12 years here. No, it's not Romans 12. That one I haven't even said much lately. Philippians chapter 4. So turn in your Bibles there, and you're probably wondering, what does Philippians 4 have to do with all this stuff you're talking about? It's a super common passage. And I have to keep preaching this passage, and here's the number one reason why because I need to hear it. And so you just pray that God will finally get it into my thick head so that you have to quit hearing about Philippians 4. But Philippians 4 is such a, I think, an incredibly powerful passage because it really addresses about this, this, this peace that we need, this peace that we have, this, this light that is lit into our hearts, this, this thing that's really transformed our souls. And it really addresses this idea that when we walk in the world, the darkness and the filth just gets on us. As we experience hardship and heartache, betrayal, even our own sins, 
it just starts to suck out what God wants to have for you. Listen to Philippians chapter four, verse six. <coughs> Do not be anxious about anything. And I could even add the word in there. Do not be frustrated about anything. But in every situation, you're gonna start noticing a language in this text. It's called discipline. It's called called processing. It's called trying to fill up your soul as much as the world's trying to empty it. But in every situation, in other words, every moment, every experience, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, oh, by the way, one of the most important lessons I've learned over the last number of years is when God feels the farthest away, one of the best things I can do is spend some time in thanksgiving. And sometimes it's tough. It's like, thank you, God, that I'm not freezing to death right now. Thank you, God, that I have shoes, one pair of shoes. Thank you, God, that, you know, and you just go into a thanksgiving. And it's amazing when we get this posture before God of thanksgiving how he can really begin to minister to us. So by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So let me unpack that for you. Are you frustrated or anxious or feeling really sick deep inside? Take every single situation to God. And verse seven is so clear. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. This is a peace that the world can't give. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because you understand what's going on now, right? You've exchanged something for something else. You've exchanged your anxiety for peace. You've done something intellectual. You've made a choice. Finally, brothers, verse eight, and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, the text is talking about this ongoing filling that we need to get from God. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. It's not so much a a head knowledge, but it's an actual doing knowledge. And the God of Peace will be with you. This God of light will be with you. I want to point out just three things from this text. The peace that you need has arrived. The peace that you need has arrived. There's one catch. You must exchange something for it. You must exchange something for it. And the thing you need to exchange is not money, it's not fame, it's not even what you might think it would be. We need to let go of our anxieties. And you don't just like say, okay, I'm not going to think about that anxious thought anymore. No, you need to go to God with it. You see, there needs to be some surgery done. God needs to spoon feed you. God needs to change your heart, and you will not pull yourself up by the bootstraps. AA 
120 years ago understood this in their 12 steps. I can tell you the rising above, like I said last Sunday, certainly understands this, that God can do something in your heart that is unbelievable. Secondly, the more strife or the more anxiety you have, the more you will wrestle with letting it go to get his peace. I just want you to understand that as you go, okay, I've tried this, Pastor. I've, I've, I've taken my anxiety. I've taken my frustration. I've prayed to God. And you go, but I feel nothing. I'm going, it isn't God's fault. That anxiety can embed itself so deep inside, we don't even know ourselves. And we can sometimes wrestle for days and weeks where we're releasing, letting go, and asking God to fulfill and come into us. This whole story reminded me when I was in Calgary years ago, I was working for uh, Genstar. It was a cement factory, cement plant. Uh, we were building, in fact, when I started there, we were building the saddle dome seats. Says how old I am because they're going to tear it down soon. But we were building the saddle dome seats. We built some bridges out to Canada, ask us some parts, and that's what we were doing. But I want to tell you, I was definitely living for Christ then, and I just happened to live with a crew of workers that were about as ungodly as they could be. I mean, they would literally throw pornography out in front of me. They would curse me and swear me at me. They would punch me as I walked by. Uh, real quick, they found out I was a Christian. I don't even remember the details of it, but, and I didn't like the work a lot. It was, I, I mean, I, I worked hard as unto the Lord, and because I worked hard unto the Lord, I kept getting promoted. And I got promoted to the three in the morning shift, and I really didn't like that shift. And I was in the depths of despair. I was so upset. I didn't know what to do. I, I felt no peace, and honestly, it's because I wasn't going after any peace. I wasn't exchanging my anxiety for his peace. And one day, I just sat down. And I said, oh, God, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. And God said, oh, finally, let's talk. And I just got this sense back then that I needed to get up at, Two, I mean, and I was silly then. I thought I could stay up till 11 and get up at 2. But I needed to get up to, at 2, and I needed to open my Bible. And I remember the first morning I'm looking at my Bible, trying to focus on the words. I was still half asleep. I read one verse, and that's all I could do. And I sensed that I needed to pray to God. And I said, oh, God, I'm here. I'm frustrated. I just need your presence. I went to work all excited, it was 10 times worse than any other day. The workers, co-workers were awful. Everything went wrong. Uh, I almost got killed by a cable that uh, broke and just took my head off. Uh, I got to be the guy that got to stretch cables. It was so much fun. It was so life-threatening. I don't know why I agreed to do all that. I was young and silly. So I went to the Lord the next morning. I said, what was with that? And God said, hmm, it's because you haven't fully let go yet. Keep it up. This went on for three weeks of getting up early, reading one Bible verse and praying. All of a sudden in the third week, I looked back and I went, hmm, something's changing. And I think what it was is, and in fact I'm convinced of this, I finally had started to exchange my anxiety for his peace. And I want to tell you this morning that depending how deep-rooted your soul wound, your anxiety, your hurt, your frustration is, it may take you weeks and months. It just so happened, I'm, I have a group I mentor in church renewal, 
and on Friday we meet at 8 a.m. And uh, we kind of got on this whole topic of, of spending time with the Lord. I had straight up asked him, how's your devotional life going? How is your, are, are you in the word? I mean, the word is clear. Isaiah was clear. We need to read his word. And so I asked, how are you guys doing? Because that's part of all church renewal. We start with ourselves first. How's it going with your walk with God? And one after one, almost every one of the people in my group said, it's been really dry lately, but I know from experience that I have to keep at it. Again, the problem's not God. Maybe you've gone through a real deep, deep valley. You're, you've lost a spouse or a loved one or a parent or a mom or a father or, or a brother or a sister, or maybe you've lost your job and maybe the bills are piling up and, and you have anxiety that even if you released it to God, as soon as you open your eyes, there it is, right there. It's probably a bill showing up in the mail your email brings with another warning. It's right there, but I tell you, just need to wrestle that to, the Jesus, to Jesus. You just need to take it to him. Just do it over and over and over again. And I want to tell you, the peace and the light of God will burst through in your life. The third thing we can take from Philippians forward, after the exchange is done and the peace arrives, it will, then comes what I call the maintenance time. You now have a new attitude, a new heart, you have peace flowing, you have light. Uh, you could say it's sort of like a brand new Porsche. No, even better, it's a new, shiny, cleaned and happy soul that you have. And your tank might be starting to get filled up, but this text is really clear. It says to carry on, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever is noble, it just keeps going on. When I was living in Saskatchewan, my wife and I had, um, we had a, night, a 2001 Dodge Caravan. It was a minivan, and I grew up with station wagons, and I said, I will never own a station wagon, so my generation bought minivans, and now all the kids that grew up in minivans will say, I'm never buying a minivan, and I'll own an SUV, and now all those kids are growing up with SUVs. I don't know what they're going to like. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I had a minivan, <coughs> and I had four hungry teenagers at home, and they were eating me out of house and home. And the church paid me okay, but it wasn't a lot with the mortgage and the food and sports fees and everything. So I decided to neglect that van. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have a couple of years that I could get credit for being a mechanic, so it isn't that I don't know better. But I remember one day when uh, I hadn't been driving the van much, and my wife said, when I put the brakes on, there's this horrible... And I'm like... I knew what it was. It was metal on metal. The brake pads had worn out. And I said to her, how long has that been going? Well, it's been going for a couple of weeks. And I said, well, you should have told me. That's kind of dangerous. She goes, well, you know, we don't have the money to spend. And, and by the time I got to fixing that, I had to fix the brakes. I had to put new rotors on. may not mean anything. It's a big metal bit in the inside. And while I was in there, I noticed that my struts were shot. So I had to put new struts in. The shocks on the back were shot. And while I was under there, I noticed the transmission seemed to be having trouble. So I drove it, and sure enough, so I had to take and replace some parts in the transmission. And I spent a lot of money on it. 
well, let me tell you how beautiful that van drove after that. In fact, it wasn't long after that I sold it. And the guy that bought it from me drove it to Calgary and back for two years. He put another 100,000 kilometers on it. And I thought, well, of course, because I fixed it all up. But I want to tell you, he probably maintained it. And I should have maintained it. I didn't maintain it, and it was almost to the point where I had to take it to the dump. It was that bad. It was just so rusty, so worn out. Some of our souls are like that right now. Some of our souls are in real trouble. We haven't done any, we haven't even exchanged anxiety for the peace, and we've certainly not done a lot of maintenance on our souls. Remember the peace Jesus gave you? Remember the peace that we get with God? Isaiah 9, 6 is so clear. Romans 5, 1 is so clear. I want to ask you this morning, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the audience, are you born again? That's kind of prerequisite number one. That's somewhere you got to start. You need to be born again. You need to say in prayer, Jesus, I'm done. I'm in need of something. I'm in need of a savior. I'm in need of somebody to save me. (laughs) I admit it, it's not working for me and I need you. And receive him, receive Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus, he's trying to help the disciples live after he's gone because right now they get him one and one, right? And he starts to describe to them that when he leaves, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna be on the inside of them. And this Holy Spirit's going to be their counselor. He's going to give them power. And then in John 15, and you'll find this over and over in Scripture, by the way. In John 15, he talks, he gives this illustration of vines and branches. And by the way, he says that the vines that don't bear fruit, they get cut off and thrown in the fire and thrown away. A little bit of a warning to us all. But he says that we must be connected to the vine. This is maintenance stuff, guys. And so I ask you today, if you're born again, and maybe you're in a huge anxiety state right now, you're really frustrated, let me implore you, let me, let me encourage you. Exchange that anxiety for his peace. And then as the text goes on, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's praise. In other words, get into the word, get in prayer. Start hanging around people that are a little more uplifting and are in the word all the time. Maintenance is important. And we're way more complex than my minivan was. In fact, you're probably as good. The vet still doesn't know why my dog got so sick and why his liver failed. But praise God, that little bit of love and care and attention from his owners. And God wants to minister to you today. He wants to minister to you this week. He wants to minister to you in your frustration, in your sorrow, in your anxiety. He wants you to lay it at his feet. And he wants to give you peace. So let me ask you, have you begun a relationship with Jesus? Today's the day. Secondly, have you maintained your relationship with Jesus if you're a follower of Christ? And number three, we as a church have so many tools to help you achieve good maintenance. And I, I think through our hearing God, we had about, I think we were up about 40% of people that actually went through it. Soul care, we probably have about 20, 30% that have gone through it. Um, we have a set free weekend that we did. That's a good maintenance thing. And 
that one was, uh, I think we had about 10% of the people in the church go through it. Now, we've just started with all this stuff. I'm not telling you have to do that. In fact, everything in church renewal, by the way, and soul care, which isn't church renewal, all of that stuff is just pointing to what this is teaching. Change your anxiety, trade it in for his peace, and then maintain it. It's that simple. And, and you might say, oh, I have such a hard time maintaining I know. You think I don't struggle? I was going to preach on this this morning, so I have a journal I write. I opened it up this morning. I thought, well, i got to practice what I preach. So I opened it up. It was in November the last time I wrote in my journal. Now, I have been in devotions and I have read the Word, but journaling is a real important part for my journey right now because I always do the Anthony. I write an A and I say, okay, God. And by the way, I was just given uh, a picture from somebody that's been praying for me. I said, God, what does that mean? And then I wrote G, and I wrote down what I think God was trying to say to me about it. But what I want to say to you is I hadn't done that properly since November. What is that with us? Why are we like that? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are a... I don't want to use words that discourage us and run us down, God, but we're lazy. We just want to sit on our couch and let the TV make us feel better. We just want to sit in the pew and have nice pontifications declared over us. And the truth is, God, we need to, on our own, go to a closet or a quiet place open up our Bibles and our Bibles will actually give us truth, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. Our Bibles will help us make sense of what's going on around us as we read Isaiah, as we read the book of Revelation to the churches. Suddenly everything starts to make sense, but more than anything, God, we need to take all of our frustrations, all of our hurt, all of our pain, all of our bitterness, all of our anger, all of our whatever it is, God, and our anxieties, and we need to put them at your feet. And we need to do that every day. And we then need, as, as we've released that stuff, we need to receive your peace. And then we need to maintain it. We need to keep at it. We need to... Keep letting the light shine in the darkness. We need to have that light on our path. And that light is your word. Your word is a light to our path. Your Holy Spirit is our counselor on the inside. And we do so much external stuff to make ourselves feel better. We, we, we think we need a bigger house and more money and we need, oh God, forgive us. And again, God, I know you want to bless us and you want to give us all that kind of external fluff stuff. It's like the icing. But you really want to work deep in our souls today. So I pray in the name of Jesus that as people open up their journals, that they're not shocked like I was to see it's been a week. And for some, it's probably been months. <laughs> Praise God, they're still coming to church now and again. But oh God, I'm convinced that you want to speak personally to us. You want your word to be just a, such an encouragement to us, just to lift us up and to build into us and to help make sense in this world, whether we're grieving, whether we're freaked right out, 
whether we're filled with sorrow, we're filled with anxiety, we're filled with anger, we feel like our boss isn't recognizing who we are, we feel like we're being mistreated, we're feeling we're not being recognized, or maybe we just feel like we're useless and not worth anything, the ground we walk on. Oh God, you want to reach to us, you want us to take that anxiety and put it at your feet, and you want to fill us with your peace. So we receive your peace. And it might have to do this every morning for weeks and months until we get it. Because sometimes we just keep hanging on in those little dark corners. We keep not releasing. And so, God, we commit today that we're going to do it different. We're going to do it better. And I know, God, it takes four to six weeks just to get habit, a good habit started. Oh, God, help those good habits get into our souls so that we are people of peace, a people of joy a people of hope, and a people of love. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar, and uh, we already have one person, Dan's up here, and he would love to pray with you. And I can tell you if you ever read Dan's Facebook stuff, he often is very transparent. He goes through the waters too. He goes through the tough times. And I'm always so, so proud of Dan uh, as one of my elders because uh, God always ministers to him and he wants to help you get there too. So maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you don't need anybody to talk to. You just need to get on your knees here. And you just need to say, yep, I've been doing it myself lately. And I'm coming here as a, as a declaration that I'm gonna start doing things differently John 14, 27 is the passage I want to finish with. And I want you to really, I mean, like, I hope you've already started to release your anxiety, but I, if you need to even put your arms up to receive this, I, I want you to hear John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Amen? Fellowship in peace.